this all about? Why are they doing that? What's going on here? It's Curious John. What is he curious about today? Scientific illustrations. These are the sort of hand-drawn diagrams that appear in old books and these days as posters on the walls of trendy cafes or home decor shops. Each part of their subject, animal, plant, or stone, is carefully labeled. Or sometimes whole extinct creatures emerge from the page, reimagined in an artist's impression based on fossils and other surviving evidence. It's these lovingly drawn and diagrammed pictures that form the basis of an ongoing exhibit at the National Taiwan Museum's Nanmen branch. Drawing nature, Taiwan is portrayed in natural history illustrations. The museum's Xiang Lirong joins us today for an overview. Taiwan may be small, but its place in the world of natural history illustrations shouldn't be ignored. Its location, away from the Asian mainland and straddling the tropics, means that many endemic species live here. The waters around Taiwan are vibrant places too. Ms. Xiang says that a full tenth of the world's marine species live just off our shores. Our story begins in the 19th century. There were many artistic treatments of Taiwan's wildlife from before that, but these were mostly artistic impressions until the 19th century arrival of Western specialists and amateur natural historians on the island. Ms. Xiang says that these 19th century Europeans, charged with the ideas of Linnaeus and Darwin, drew and gave scientific names to many Taiwanese species. The oldest scientific illustration with a link to Taiwan we know about was made by the first director of Kew Gardens in London, Sir William Jackson Hooker, 1785 to 1865. His subject was the paper rice plant, which grows commonly in low and middle elevation areas of Taiwan. Ms. Xiang says that this plant had long fascinated Europeans. It was used to make paper, fake flowers, lining for Chinese paintings, and packaging for the imperial Chinese goods Europe bought up, like porcelain. Attempts to send live specimens to British merchants in other Chinese ports failed. The grass simply dried up once it was picked. But an undeterred hooker drew pictures of these dried-up specimens in 1852 and published his scientific findings about this species. This was all during the heyday of the British Empire, and other British explorers also came to document Taiwan's natural history. By 1895, they'd identified 1,347 species of vascular plants alone. Among the most famous of these Victorians was the India-born Robert Swinhoe, 1836-1877. Swinhoe served as a British consul on Taiwan during the 1860s, but the way Ms. Xiang tells his story, it seems he was more interested in the local wildlife than in his duties. Many of Taiwan's early scientific wildlife drawings are the result of his work, and many samples he collected in Taiwan were sent back to Britain for drawing and given scientific names there. Taiwan's famous Swinho pheasant still bears his name. As all this was going on, Western ideas began percolating into Taiwan's neighbor to the north, Japan. In addition to the classification and collection of wildlife, these ideas included industrialization and colonial empire. 
Japan took Taiwan as a prize after a war with Imperial China between 1894 and 1895. After that, it was Japanese natural historians, not Western ones, that would document Taiwan's natural wonders in drawing. Among the Japanese scientists who made great strides in Taiwan was Tokuichi Shiraki, who lived from 1882 to 1970. In his work, we can see a mix of personal curiosity and colonial policy. Shiraki was an entomologist, and his work with Taiwanese insects included those that the Japanese colonial government deemed pests. Japan wanted to rid its Taiwan colony of agricultural pests and disease vectors, and it put its scientists to work in figuring out how to do this. One result of this work was Shiraki's illustrated volume on the blood-sucking insects of Taiwan. The subject sounds less than appealing, but somehow the drawings managed to be not just precise, but also beautiful. It's during the colonial period that we also see the first local Taiwanese people getting in on the act. Wang Renli was one of them. He was a talented artist and cataloger who helped his Japanese associates illustrate a guide to Taiwanese trees. Like the guide to blood-sucking insects, this catalog of trees was serious business. During the colonial era, trees could be big business, used for lumber, camphor, and other commercial purposes. So far, we've mostly looked at people who documented plants and animals, but there were plenty of scientists working in other fields who also illustrated the specimens they studied. For instance, there was geology. Taiwan's north and northeast is an area rich in gold and other minerals, and Japan wanted to exploit this richness. So surveyors went out and made geological maps filled with detailed drawings of what parts of Taiwan had what mineral resources. After World War II, Taiwan was Japanese no more, and locals, or those fleeing the Chinese Civil War across the Taiwan Strait, now took over as the only scientific illustrators. Li Zhengling was among the most prominent of these post-war illustrators. He drew 658 wild bird species in a post-war guide that for Taiwanese bird watchers was long a must-have for any expedition. If you think scientific illustrations are a quaint thing of the past, you're wrong. Shen Cheng Han is a prominent figure in contemporary scientific drawing here in Taiwan. He's still a graduate student at National Taiwan University, but his work is already noteworthy. His specialty is paleontology. He can take bone fragments or fossils and turn them into full lifelike drawings. One recent work is a drawing of an ancient gray whale brought back to life from a partial fossil discovered under the Taiwan Strait. Gray whales are no longer found there, but based on the evidence of many juvenile gray whale fossils, scientists now believe that the Taiwan Strait was once a nursing ground for these whales. Ms. Xiang says that when people first hear about this exhibit, the first question they usually ask is why we still need people to draw and diagram things the way we used to. After all, don't we have cameras? And it's true, Ms. Xiang says, cameras can do a lot for us. But even high-definition cameras can fail us under certain conditions. Underwater, for instance. And what if we need close-up, non-blurry views of insect and bird parts? Here, careful hand-drawn pictures remain indispensable.
Miss Young says the goal of this exhibit is to do something different. Usually, she says, when people come into natural history exhibits, what they see are taxidermied models and a lot of text. Here, they can explore natural history through art. The exhibit has four main parts. The first looks at predecessors of scientific drawings, from cave paintings to ancient Greek models through to the works of the German Renaissance master Albrecht Dürer. In the second part, we see actual scientific drawings focused on Taiwan, from local plant and animal species to local geology. In the third section, we have the work of contemporary illustrators, especially of species that are endangered today. And in the fourth and final section, working scientific illustrators are invited to come in on weekends and demonstrate the tools of their trade and the way they work. At the end of the exhibit, visitors are given paper and pen and several specimens of plants and shells to work with. Here, they can try their hand at making their own scientific illustrations. The exhibit runs through the end of May, but most of its run has coincided with the COVID-19 pandemic. That's why the museum has taken pains to make sure that the whole exhibit is digitized, put online for everyone to explore. You can check it out too. Just go to flyingj, that's F-L-Y-I-N-G-J-A-Y, dot M-Y-D-S dot M-E, forward slash 720, forward slash drawing nature, one word, and make sure the D and N are capitalized, forward slash. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. <laughs>